The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. George. That was too close. You were almost a podcast sandwich. <laughs> Ooh, that's we need a shirt of that one, Nathaniel. Yes, yes we do. <laughs> Hello everyone. Welcome again to the Scream Kings podcast. Uh we're mixing it up again this episode and we're pretty stoked. This is an episode that's been long time coming. Yes. Uh, today we are going to be talking uh, five different uh, horror video game, either either individual games or franchises as a whole. Um, we'll we'll kind of have a mix of, of both. Uh, so yeah, we're talking about some some major horror video games. Obviously, we're not going to have a you know totally uh, complete list of the best horror video games or things like that, but we. You know, we each, each brought uh, a few important titles that we're going to talk about at some length and just talk about, you know, what what we love about horror video gaming because that's been something we've uh, unfortunately neglected for the most part up until this point. Yeah, and we were really surprised at how well-received our board game episode was. Um, all you listeners out there really seemed to gravitate towards that episode where we mixed it up a little bit, talked about a few of our favorite board games. And Nathaniel, I would definitely say you and I are both much more video gamers than we are board gamers. Um, and so the passion and the enthusiasm for this episode is going to ooze everywhere, I think. Uh, just because this is a huge interest of ours. We've been playing games since we could first pick up a controller. Yes, and um, horror video games were extremely formative in me kind of getting into horror. Um, you know, I guess... It- if if you want to look back 60 plus episodes to our <laughs> very first episode, I talked a little bit about how Resident Evil, the original one, just scarred me deeply as a child. And then that was also, funny enough, kind of my entry point back into being interested in horror when uh, I was shown Resident Evil 4. So, you know, I, I have a lot of uh, fondness for horror video games because, yeah, they, they largely have set me down this horror-obsessed, horror-writing, horror-podcasting path of, of my life. So um, I owe them a lot. <laughs> and I just want to, before we get started, um, once again, thanks everyone for listening. Remember, we are a very pro-spoilers podcast. If you haven't played any of these games, watch out. We'll probably spoil some things. How we did yep. the board games episode, though, is we kind of dived into how the game was played kind of the narrative of the game, and we're going to try and keep it similar here. We'll we'll be talking about the plot and summarizing what the games are all about, some of the pros of the games, the cons of the games, and we're actually introducing a new rating this episode that we're calling Pentacles, uh, because that is occultish and spooky. Not pentagrams for all you demon lovers, Pentacles for all you Wiccans and pagan lovers. 
Yes, and so pentacles are going to be kind of representing how fun a game is to play. Um, while we're going to keep the the streams and the crowns to represent, you know, overall kind of storytelling, overall quality, and also just the level of scare factor. So, uh, yeah, we're uh, going to dive in, uh, and and we're going to use the the fun randomization tool, a D six. <gasps> da 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 da! All right, here I go. I'm rolling. And the first number we get is one. Oh, man, we're going to start big. Okay. <laughs> Everyone, buckle in. All right, so our number one choice is Silent Hill. Uh, so this is, of course, an entire horror franchise uh you know, not even just video games at this point. You know, there's been a couple of movies and, and things like that as well. Uh, Silent Hill is very near and dear to my heart. Um, it's it's definitely one of my favorite pieces of horror uh, in, in really any medium. In fact, like, I love it so much that I have uh, plans to eventually write a nonfiction book about the Silent Hill series and like its inception and uh the the team that made it and all of that like so obviously I can talk about Silent Hill for hours and hours and hours but I'm not going to do that today I I'll I'll let you just you know read the book whenever I end up writing it oh there we In- go instead um I what I wanted to do is I'm going to focus in on a few major points of uh, kind of important knowledge about Silent Hill, just kind of, you know, what is Silent Hill? How do you play it? Um, what are some of the more major games in the series? Because, you know, there's a, a, a number of games in the series, and, and some of them are better or kind of more uh, important than others. Um, and, yeah, I'll just kind of try to take it piece by piece. So, and I, I do want to, like, let everyone know that I've actually never played through an entire Silent Hill game. Um, I've seen the movie several times. It's amazing. I know all about the lore because my best friend is Nathaniel Darkish, and you can't be best friends with him without, like, absorbing Silent Hill information by osmosis. <laughs> so yes. I will try and chime in as best I can. Um, Nathaniel, definitely try and engage me here and there and... and and ask me a few things here, but this is definitely your forte. This is your realm. Yes, for sure. Uh, so, Silent Hill is a horror survival series. It uh, has had a, a fair number of, of major entries uh, in in the series, uh, specifically with with the video games. So, the main series would be. Silent Hill, Silent Hill 2, 3, uh, Silent Hill 4, The Room, Silent Hill Origins, Silent Hill Homecoming, Silent Hill Shattered Memories, which is like a kind of a reinterpretation of one, and then Silent Hill Downpour. Uh, but there have been other spin-offs. There have been some kind of arcade games. Um, there is a, a chapter in Dead by Daylight. There... Uh, you know, it's also, you know, a very controversially canceled uh, sequel, Silent Hills, that had a, a very influential uh, teaser uh, demo. Um, there's the movies, there's comics, there's all sorts of stuff. 
so the the important things to know about Silent Hill is that Silent Hill, the, the title, is is referring to the name of this town that, at least in the video game series, is in Maine. Um, there's a lot of complicated lore involving, you know... There's like the- a... There's a whole cult kind of background, like demon yeah, god. Yeah, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the cult. Like if, yeah, like the uh, mythos is much bigger than the games really. I think provide. I I spent a few days after you and I had a discussion, kind of diving into it, and it just kind of went over my head, just because it is so developed. Yeah, it it is very complicated, and there's even stuff like going all the way back to like early European settlers, you know, murdering Native Americans and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to get into that component, but I am going to talk about the cult, uh, which is known as the Order. Um, but basically, key things to know about Silent Hill: it was a mining town or a mining settlement. Um, it has kind of been, you know, relatively isolated from uh, other communities nearby. And there has, you know, over time there emerged a very radical uh, religious group, uh, the Order, that is basically a a doomsday cult. Um, Their whole big goal was to try to birth their god into the world to bring about the end of the world and, you know, basically bring about the what they envision as a paradise, which is, of course, a horrifying hellscape. Um, And in order to do that, one of the cult leaders basically decided that she was going to sacrifice her young daughter uh, by burning her alive and doing this ritual that would then impregnate this young girl with their god. Uh, This young girl is named Alessa Gillespie. And... This is all kind of happening, it gets explored a fair bit in the Silent Hill Origins game, um, but I'm going to talk about that one a little bit less overall in terms of like what makes that game a game, and just kind of mostly refer to the stuff as uh, sort of background uh, for, for the other games. But basically this cult is there to, yeah, try to bring about the end of times. Now, they're unsuccessful in birthing their god, and what happened is when they tried to do that, Alessa actually created this baby that was basically like another, like like the good part of her, uh, and then like sent it away. So prior to the beginning of the first game, um, we have a, a man and his wife, uh, the man is the protagonist of the first game, his name is Harry, and he and his wife find this baby, and they adopt her, and um, shortly after his wife dies of know, some illness or something, um, he and his daughter are going to, uh, they're, they're driving to to visit Silent Hill because his daughter keeps talking about how she wants to check out this place. Uh, she knows it has something to do with her past, but she doesn't necessarily know how. Um, and so he, uh, you know, takes his daughter Cheryl, uh, and you know the the game kind of begins with him getting in a car accident. Her, uh, you know, and when he comes to, she's gone. And so the game is him trying to find his daughter. And he starts to interact with these cult members, and he starts to encounter these hellish monsters. And sometimes there's even this like weird air raid siren that that sounds, and suddenly the town becomes like the dark, even more twisted, messed up version of itself. Um, there aren't very many people there. 
and and so gameplay is is largely you know fighting monsters or hiding from monsters solving puzzles and trying to solve this mystery of what happened to your daughter where is she <clears throat> while also kind of uncovering the secrets of the past um yeah the gameplay from what i have seen is very simplistic in you you know you're either solving puzzles you're running away from the bad guys or you're fighting and interacting with the bad guys um, yes. There's not much to it outside of that, and that's okay. I think it delivers that in a very effective manner. I mean, the monsters themselves are terrifying. I mean, you've got Pyramid Head, who will come up in another game we're going to talk about. Yes. And so, yeah, with that first one, it's it's really, really effective because it it, it does a lot of very clever atmospheric horror like, I'll put it this way. It is a PlayStation 1 title, so it has, you know, very good for PlayStation 1 level of graphics, but it's still a PlayStation 1 game. It's not like a, a more modern game with, with more updated graphics that are realistic. But regardless of that, me, as an adult man, playing that game, it scared me so deeply, like, so much more than, like, any horror movie that, like, I would, you know... I was playing it by myself, and I had to, like, pause it and just go, like, well, I need the lights on, I need to do this around other people, because I cannot be alone playing this game. It, it just gets under my skin so much. Just, like, the the sound design is brilliant, the writing is brilliant, the the lore is complicated. And, and what's really cool is that there's so many, like, nods to other pieces of horror. Like, great example, and this is not spoilery at all, is that there is a, a an instance where you're going through this school and there is a locker in a, in a locker room that's shaking and you're like oh no this is going to be really bad this is going to be terrifying you know you, you figure there's going to be a monster that's going to jump out at you if you open the locker but you have to do it because it's it's the next thing that you have to do and so you open the locker and a cat jumps out and walks <laughs> away and if you're familiar with Alien, that is a direct nod to something that happens in Alien, where, you know, when they're looking for Jonesy, you know, there's there's one instance where, you know, she opens up a locker, he jumps out and hisses at her and runs away. And so, like, there's little nods to, like, other pieces of horror. And, like, in fact, even every, like, street in the town is named after different horror writers, which is fantastic. Um... But, you know, it's 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 a, a game that, that really does a good job of kind of standing on its own while having this really intricate, deep backstory while also being a love letter to kind of every other piece of horror fiction that was influential. So, Nathaniel, you, you know, you're a horror connoisseur, of course, and we often talk about the best type of horror movies are the ones that stick with you a few days after you watch it. Why are the scares in Silent Hill so effective at what they do? Like, why did it get to you that bad? Like, what made it scary? You know what I'm asking? Yeah. Um, so what Silent Hill does is it it does a really good job of showing you... Like, it doesn't rely on jump scares. That's a big thing. Um, there are occasional little jump scares here and there in the games... Because, you know, naturally, as you're going through life, especially if you're going through a situation like this, there's going to be things that'll pop out at you, right? But that isn't the kind of crux of what makes these games scary. What makes them scary is that they are very heavy on their psychological elements. Um, like, the way that the world works 
is this kind of weird, twisted nightmare logic version of, of reality. Um, it, it's really easy to get immersed in this world. And, and when you encounter these monsters, it's not like, oh, hey, I've seen a dozen of these monsters, no big deal, like you get in a lot of other games, where, oh, yeah, I mean, you, the first zombie might freak you out, the 30th zombie, you're just like, whatever. That doesn't really happen with Silent Hill. Those those monsters are still upsetting and disturbing in, in the way they move, in the way they make sounds, in the way that they uh, get around the world, all of that. Like, they're not your ordinary monsters. They are all fleshy and inhuman and they they move like you know so, like someone whose back you know his back has been broken or who you know or they'll, they'll crawl or they, they just they, they don't have this like normal human logic to them they're well, uh, they're uh, nightmares and i think for me when i saw you play only a little bit it was interesting to see that like what you were saying in a lot of kind of hack and slash games yeah they've got some scary monsters but after the 50th one that you've cut up you're not really afraid anymore and i think the monsters in silent hill are very intimidating and they make them strong enough that you are always kind of hesitant to just engage with them yeah I mean, and 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 with the exception of the bosses like you can usually just run away if you want to Right, and I mean, like, Pyramid Head, for example, is this opposing, slow, kind of demonic creature with this giant, you know, broadsword and this intimidating pyramid visage. And, you know, you could easily run away from him, but every time you see the damn thing, you kind of shudder a little bit. Um, because I think it is so inhuman and so intimidating that it really makes you second-guess your actions as the main character. Um, yeah, and that's that's just someone watching the game like i haven't even dived in to play it and so if that is eliciting that kind of a reaction in an observer imagine what it is for an actual player yeah for sure and and there's a lot of these like really brilliant little uh pieces of game design throughout like one of the things that they do in every silent hill game is that you at some point find a radio and all they do with it is if there's a monster nearby, the radio starts to crackle static. Otherwise, it's silent. Well, what that does to you, like you think, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be a nice warning system. I'll be ready. But it just freaks you out every time because you'll just be walking down the street going like, oh, everything's fine. And suddenly the static starts and you're like, where is it? Where is it? What is it? What is it going to be this time? Do I have Do I have bullets? Do I have... Do I do I need to pull out a you know a crowbar or you know a melee weapon? What what is it? And so, and also you know like it, it deliberately has like camera angles and stuff like that that don't necessarily always lend themselves to easily being able to look around and things like that. And so you know when when that static starts, you instantly are terrified instead of just going like oh well get ready to fight. You just go oh no oh no oh no what is it now what is it now. Um. So, and I think, again, Silent Hill, I'm going to kind of pull back a little bit and say it's such uh, an imposing video game because it's kind of past the video game world. You have in your notes that it's actually a film. The first movie is pretty good as far as horror movies go. It, yeah. it got under my skin personally. Give us a little bit about the films and, and how yeah. it's kind of grown out of itself. 
Okay, yeah, so the there there is two Silent Hill films, so there's Silent Hill and then Silent Hill Revelations. Uh, the Silent Hill film is, in my opinion, very good. Uh, it is an adaptation of the first game. They make some changes, like they, they change the, the main character to be Harry's wife instead, uh, so she's still alive in this one, and, and they kind of like introduce a lot of themes of motherhood that actually I think I felt worked really well. Um, also, you know, some other changes, they of course bring in the very iconic pyramid head into this one, even though he actually belongs to the second game specifically. Um, but like as a whole, it's a pretty faithful adaptation and I think it, it really delivers on the scares. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a great movie. The second one is kind of a hot mess. Um, you could tell that they definitely didn't really have people that were as passionate about the lore or, you know, I don't know, doing it right, for, for, for lack of better phrase. And so it's kind of like one of those so bad it's good movies. Like, it's, it's an entertaining movie, but it's not a good movie. So, you know, Revelations, if you want to watch a dumb movie to laugh at, great movie for that. If you want to watch a, an actually good horror movie, the first Silent Hill movie is really, really good. Um, uh, and I, I, I want to roll back a little bit and talk to you about probably my favorite aspect of the games. And I think that is the psychological horror behind the idea of nightmares. You know, in Silent Hill, you have this big, thick mist that's kind of covering the city. And you hear the alarms go off, and that's kind of when the real horror starts to begin. And I, I really believe it's an allusion to kind of our nightmares. Um, and there's an amazing documentary on Netflix called... Um, oh my gosh, I just escaped me. I had it on the tip of my tongue. Man, that's a catchy title. <sighs> Nightmare, I think? What is the sleep paralysis one? The, ah! nightmare. the nightmare, yeah. And how... The one that we talked about on the podcast before yeah grief with charlie um so yeah there's this documentary on netflix called the nightmare and it really dives into sleep paralysis and how terrifying that can be for some people and i think what silent hill does best is it kind of merges that sleep nightmare it takes what freddy does really good of you know being vulnerable in your sleep and then makes it real life and, and that's haunting I, I definitely agree, and, and something I really love about the series is kind of each game introduces you to that nightmare other world uh, in different ways. Um, like, for example, you know, the first game, it's the, the Sirens, uh, Blair, in uh, Silent Hill Origins, it's you, like, look into a mirror, and then you, like, are in the nightmare world, and you have to look through a mirror to come back out. Um, each game kind of does it differently, but... Uh, what I what I think is so interesting about it is, like, that's where things are really, really bad. But it's not to say that the non-nightmare world is good uh, by any means. There's still this horrifying cult. There are still monsters spilling over. It's, you know, kind of showing us that, like, hey, maybe, maybe the real world is just as bad as, or at least is comparably bad to this, like, hell or this you know, other dimension, you know, what, what, whatever we associate with bad and evil in, in the world, guess what? There's plenty of that in our real world every day anyway. Um, uh, let me just touch very briefly on uh, Silent Hill 2 and 3. I'm not going to have time to get into the other ones. Um, 
Otherwise, this will just turn into a Silent Hill episode, which, I mean, I'm okay with that. But... I was about to cut you off, so you better hurry up, muchacho. Okay, let me just briefly touch on... So, uh, Silent Hill 2 is uh, not really directly following any of the main story from 1, but it's you know also set in that world. This is the one where we have uh, a, a guy who is returning to Silent Hill, where he and his wife used to go on vacation. Um... Presumably it was a lot less terrifying then. Uh, his wife has died of cancer, and but he gets a letter from her uh, saying, like, hey, I'll be waiting for you at our special place, and it's postmarked in Silent Hill. And so he goes to try to find his wife. Uh, that's the one with Pyramid Head. Um, it deals a lot with uh, themes of guilt, and uh, it's absolutely just one of the most brilliant, like, standalone pieces of horror ever made. And so I just want to shout out to that one because it's so good. Um, and then Silent Hill 3 is also the, uh, is, is a direct follow-up to 1. It is about uh, Harry Mason's daughter when she is uh, older. And it, it, you know, kind of pulls on a lot of those threads that it sets up in 1. And so those are the three most important games. The other ones kind of explore other aspects of Silent Hill or things like that. But um, those are the main uh, ones in the series. And it's just a real good good series um so as far as rating it um with pentacles crowns and screams uh what i'm going to say is overall the series in terms of fun uh so pentacles uh, i'd give it a seven there are some really kind of clunky elements to some of the gameplay i mean they're most of them are older games um but i still love them with all of my heart uh how good is it crowns i'm gonna give it an eight just because some of the later entries aren't that strong but like the first few games are like perfection uh and then how scary it is i'm giving it a nine like silent hill is a freaking scary game series just kind of no matter how you slice it um i i don't know if i can actually give it pentacles or crowns i can give it screams just because i saw you play it i'm very unfamiliar with the rest of the franchise so i'm gonna say like a six or seven but that is like an outsider's view into silent hill so based on like (laughs) an hour of one of the games yeah uh, and more so the movie i think and kind of the long lasting effect of the monsters pyramid head the nurses all that kind of stuff that's where i kind of rate it in between a six and a seven so yeah yeah, obviously there's a, I, I could talk a lot more about it, but we don't have time. Let's move on. What is the dice? All right, the dice are thrown, and we have number four, Until Dawn. This is a, a, a game that I recently just played. Um, my boyfriend actually introduced me to it and it was one of those, you must play this game or this relationship cannot continue kind of a vibe. Um, and it's a, it's a horror masterpiece, really. Uh, it's a story-driven game. There's not a ton of action, per se. Um, you play as one of six different characters and kind of their experiences over six hours in this kind of abandoned cabin in the woods um it's a narrative choice game so every decision that you're making as one of these six individuals affects 
everything else downstream, which is fascinating to me. Um, all of the different, you know, kind of time variants that can happen because of your decisions are really fascinating. I've been watching a lot of Loki on Disney Plus lately because uh, Marvel's amazing. And so this this game is kind of you're creating your own timeline based on the decision of these actors. It's really fun. Um, and Nathaniel, you've played this game too, right? Yes. Uh, when I played it, I played it with a bunch of our friends, uh, like as a group. And so, like you know, we we took turns, you know, kind of passing the controller back and forth. And whenever we'd come to those kind of critical decision points, we would like very very quickly decide together what we would do um it was honestly one of the funnest uh gaming experiences i've ever had we played it over i think two or three nights uh the whole game uh and it was amazing it's honestly like one of my fondest gaming memories of all time yeah it's a relatively short game only probably about six to eight hours depending on how you play it um it's actually free on the playstation network if you have a ps5 it's kind of one of their all-time best games ever um and that's how i found it it's a free download the game itself it, it can be a little clunky it's a little dated mm. um the uh, the gameplay mechanics are fun sometimes they don't always work the way you want you have to you know decide if you want to shoot an animal or sometimes a human or uh, you have to make quick reaction commands to press a certain button at a certain time and again all of this affects the game downstream and so as you're playing through when i first started and i think i talked to you about this it felt very kind of cheesy and clunky and and almost like one of those weird romance choose your own adventure games um, yeah i i would definitely com- like like they definitely were going for like a b horror movie vibe for a lot of it like very deliberately in terms of like the acting and all of that so and but then after the ball really starts to get rolling it's so addictive and you cannot put it down you need to know what happens to the actors um and you get attached to certain individuals so quickly and you try everything in your power to keep them alive and sometimes because the nature of the game you think you're making a right decision and it's not and they end up dying and it's crazy it's so crazy um A few other points of pressure that I felt with the game is being a horror video game and kind of a horror narrative game, I felt like at certain times they were throwing every horror trope that they could think of at you. Oh, yeah. Uh, You're in this beautiful cabin in this isolated wintry woods, and then you find this, like, insane asylum that happens to have a chapel and there's gore, and then there's a, some saw elements to it, and then you're... And you're a bunch of teens all out well, on your own, and... And even more so, there's, like, red balloons that one of the main killers uses as a, like, throwback to Pennywise. At, at certain points, I was just kind of groaning at all of the horror tropes. But then, all of a sudden, the plot clicks in, and you don't give any sort of shit anymore about how the game is progressing because it the narrative is so good um all of the characters that are in the game are actually real life actors um Rami Malek uh Payton Hayden Panettone or however you say her last name Pantier they're yeah um these guys were our are actors they're celebrities who signed up for this game and so their characters resemble their actual their actual personas and so the acting is very well developed um it's just so fun it's kind of a mix of 
whodunit. You're trying to figure out what is going on. And at the same time, you're in the middle of a slasher movie, and it's just trippy. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It it was one of those ones that I remember actually even seeing trailers for this game. And when I saw the trailers, I'm like, ah, this looks kind of cheesy and terrible. But, I mean, maybe I'll give it a try. And then when I played it, I was like, oh, this is an absolute blast. Like, it is, even though, like, yes, it is kind of cheesy in some ways, it is so fun. It is, it is so rewarding and and it's just way better than it has any right to be exactly yeah i felt like that so many times um and and just a little blurb towards the end i had actually saved probably five out of the six main characters i was quite proud of myself and in the last scene the very damn last scene i made one decision thinking that everyone had already been saved and there was this massive explosion, and only two of my survivors made it out alive. And I was livid, because I had done so well up to that point. But it, I think that's the fun of the game, is you never know what's going to happen based on your decisions. And it makes you want to replay it over and over and over, so you can see every different time loop that you can create. Yeah, I... I don't remember how many we ended up with when we played it we did lose quite a few people i remember but there was like some characters that we really hated and we're like we're gonna figure out how to kill that person as soon as possible oh yeah same definitely same and again i think that's part of the beauty of the game is it allows you to identify with a few characters and also just loathe others like Rami malik's character i just hated i wanted him to die i did not care about his character whatsoever Anyway, um, as far as pentacles go, I would definitely give this game a 9. It's a hoot, especially if you do it your way, Nathaniel. Play it with a group of people, assign everybody a certain character, and then when that character's turn comes around, make them play. Um, that sounds like the best Halloween party I can think of. Yes, for sure. I, I, would, I would say I, I'd probably give it an 8, but like, yeah, it was, it was a hoot. Uh, as far as crowns go, I'd probably say 8, 7, or excuse me, seven or an eight. It's good. There were times where I felt it was just being overbearing and I kind of had to roll my eyes at it, though. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, it, it, it's it's strong, but it there are a few parts that you're just like, really? This? Okay. Yeah, so I, I would say, yeah, seven and a half is a good score for that. And then as far as screams go, I'd probably give it a seven. There were a lot of times where I jumped off of my couch my boyfriend was sitting next to me and I had to grab him or there's even one moment where I screamed. Um, and I, I don't know why it's probably cause I've never really dived into a horror game like this before. And I didn't know what to expect, but it got me it, a lot of jump scares, a lot of just kind of creepy moments, but I don't know what it is about it. It, it got me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. For me, it didn't really get me that much, but, you know, again, I'm I'm a more seasoned horror video game player, so uh, four or five in terms of screams. All right, should we roll that dice again? Let's do it. Oh, good lord. The dice are in our favor again. Um, all right, just dive into Resident Evil. I'll go get some popcorn while Nathaniel takes care of the rest of the episode. <laughs> Okay, um, so Resident Evil. Again, we're dealing with a pretty large, complicated series. Um, There have been 
a lot of uh, major entries. So there's one, two, zero, three, four, uh, Code Veronica, five, six, seven, eight. There's a bunch of side games. There's a whole franchise of, of live action movies that were terrible. So I'm not going to even really talk about those just to say they're awful. Don't even waste your time. There's even some like CGI films that tie directly within the uh, video game series. There's there's a lot. There's a, there's so much. Um, and unfortunately, I can't talk about everything Resident Evil because I have not played number eight yet. But I can talk about most of the the other stuff. Um, so I I've broken it just kind of for for simplicity's sake into two major sections uh, of the plot. So there's like the Umbrella Corporation section. Uh, of of the story, which is basically games zero through Code Veronica, so zero, one, two, three, and Code Veronica, and then there is the kind of new era of Resident Evil, um, so four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, basically, what you have is that there is this big evil mega corporation uh, that mostly deals in pharmaceuticals called Umbrella. Uh, and Umbrella has created this virus called the T-Virus that turns people into zombies. Uh, and so, basically, they're doing a lot of really sketchy stuff. Some of it is, you know, seems to be accidental. Some of it is very much on purpose. You know, and, uh, to, to test out this virus and see what it can do for them. Uh, zombies basically get loose. Uh, With the first game, you know, it's in this mansion and then uh, this secret uh, umbrella lab underneath the mansion. uh, And Zero is also dealing with that. Um, But then quickly with games uh, 2 and 3, you have uh, a bunch of uh, these uh, main characters, uh, some of whom are from the previous games and some of them are like family members or friends of, of people that are in these previous games. Uh, in this nearby city of Raccoon City, who are uh, trying to survive this outbreak. Uh, eventually, the uh, all of our, our protagonists kind of get out of this city and end up uh, surviving as uh, Raccoon City gets nuked by the U.S. government to try to help resolve this whole problem. Uh, so yeah, they, they nuke uh, a city in the United States. Um, that is a super, super general overview. Obviously, there's a lot of, like, betrayal and intrigue, and there's, you know, it's not just zombies. They've also, like, made uh, other monsters. There are more powerful versions of the virus that have created, uh, you know, some very strong, very scary uh, variants, uh, including one named Nemesis, who was hunting you all during three, or Mr. X, who was hunting you all through number two. Um... So there's those uh, major elements. Uh, then we have the new era, which uh, the the first major one is Resident Evil 4, which in my opinion is one of the best entries in the series. This one takes uh, one of the people from uh, Resident Evil 2, uh, Leon Kennedy, um, and basically he has gone on with his life, and then uh, his first day of working for the Secret Service, the president's daughter gets kidnapped, by a weird cult in Spain, and he is sent to try to save her. Uh, and so we start to see d- 
different things than just the T-virus. Uh, so now we have this like weird cult in Spain, and they're using this like weird uh, parasite to turn people into zombies called Las Plagas, and it's it's a whole thing. Um, then we have Resident Evil Five, which is about one of the other main characters from uh, like one and uh, especially one, uh, Chris Redfield, and he is in Africa dealing with, you know, trying to help clean up stuff from everything that Umbrella has done. And the Las Plagas thing is combined with the T-Virus to make a whole new thing called Ouroboros, and it's a whole mess. Uh, then there was Resident Evil 6, which is a bad game, and no one wants to talk about it. Uh, I'm just going to skip over that one entirely. And then Resident Evil 7 was kind of a new... Uh, new new era for the series where this is the first time we actually like switched to first person perspective and that game i've talked about a little bit in uh, our texas chainsaw episode um it's horror perfection it's it's honestly like the best horror video game ever made in my opinion it is terrifying um and while while still being a resident evil game in new ways this one doesn't have zombies it has these things called molded and there's this terrifying cannibalistic hillbilly family and it's it's i don't know there's a lot the new one is village i don't know enough about that one to say anything with great confidence there's a lot there's a lot um basically kind of what we have is you know we we, we see a series that kind of evolves over time in terms of how it's played uh like the first games were just kind of top-down uh third-person shooters um you know, which feels very similar to like even like the old, uh, original Silent Hill games and stuff like that as well. Uh, but then as the series goes on, by like Resident Evil 4, it was kind of over-the-shoulder third-person, which was kind of a new idea for how to have shooter games work. Uh, so that one was very important. Um, that game is, you know, fantastic. And then, you know, finally they've, they've moved into this first-person perspective uh, for the last two games. Um, there is kind of different focuses in the series on, on terms of, like, scares. You know, I would say that the first few games definitely rely a lot on, like, jump scares and just kind of the occasional big bad monster. Um, but as the series goes on, like, the monsters get more upsetting conceptually um, and, you know, really have a, some very effective scares that aren't just jump scares. And But unfortunately, there was a kind of a period with, like, uh, Resident Evil 5 and 6, where the series kind of moved to more action-focused, um, especially with number 6, where it's just, it's about beefy dudes shooting stuff and blowing stuff up, and it stops kind of really being a horror series, but they've kind of turned that back to, they, they've turned their focus back to survival horror again. So, I don't know, there's a lot to talk about. I, I could go on and on, but that's kind of the gist of Resident Evil in a very quick nutshell. Yeah, I, I think Resident Evil does a lot of good things. Um, you and I have talked about number seven, Ad Nauseam, um, and how it is a beautiful kind of metaphor for a lot of the horror genre. Yes. Um, we dived into that when we talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Andy Scahill. Um, if anyone wants that like deep dive of Resi 7, definitely check out that episode. I've seen a lot of gameplay of Resident Evil 8. My boyfriend adores it. Um, and it's very terrifying. There is this terrible, creepy doll spider thing that is un un ungodly. Um, 
but yeah, I think when you compare Resident Evil and Silent Hills side by side, uh, they're kind of yin and yang to some regard. Yeah. You know, Silent Hill does a lot that Resident Evil doesn't, and vice versa as well. Um, they're both champions of horror video games, um, but they cater to different audiences for different things, in my opinion. And, and again, I actually haven't played any Resident Evils, so this is definitely an outsider's look in. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree that the the yin and yang uh, comparison, I think, is very apt. Um, it, interestingly enough, Silent Hill was actually Konami's response to the success of Resident Evil. Basically, Konami just turned to a, a team of, of their developers that were kind of like the developers that no one else... Like, I don't know, they just didn't quite play well with others, and they just kind of form, pushed them together into a team and said, hey, you're going to make our competition for Resident Evil go. Uh, and so, you know, we wouldn't have Silent Hill without Resident Evil. Resident Evil is extremely important. It's extremely influential. You know, there are... You know, it, it, it's such a, a huge deal whenever one of them comes out. It is a, a cultural phenomenon like more than anything else that we're going to talk about today. But it's, you know, definitely a series that has high points and low points and, and things like that. And, you know, definitely you can see a lot of different people's visions um, represented over the course of the series. I would say, you know, more recently, especially, they've done a lot of like really uh, intense focus on making the horror effective. Like they've uh, done remakes of the first uh three or well i guess first four games so zero one two and three um that have have really kind of revamped uh the graphics of course but also like the gameplay and the story and all of that um so you know it's it's a series that has continued to be refined and tweaked and you know kind of nudged into the the direction that you know it it, it uh i think is you know, finally in a good place now, with the exception of Resident Evil 6. That one's just the worst. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, I want to say, like, Resident Evil to me feels a lot more like horror art um, in the fact that it's trying to tell a story, especially 7 and 8. Uh, and not that Silent Hill isn't trying to tell a story, but Resi, I think, is just a little bit more poetic in its approach sometimes, especially with 7. 7 is just a beautiful treaty on a horror genre as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that even though the story is very complicated and very confusing at times with the Resident Evil series, it's trying to tell you uh, like a, a fairly, fairly straightforward linear story, while the Silent Hill series is, is trying to like give you emotions that wash over you, and, and exploring themes like guilt and family and sacrifice and you know kind of these like big nebulous concepts uh and so yeah like fundamentally they're going to be approaching things very differently all right so tell us your pentacles screams and crowns uh so i'm just going to give this sevens across the board i would say you know if you're looking at series as a whole you know there there are high points and low points in terms of being fun being good being scary you know i would say you know like, if, if you're going to talk to me about, like, Resident Evil 4 or 7, it's 10s pretty much across the board. Uh, maybe not quite 10s for everything, but, like, you know, they're, they're near-perfect games. 
but like the rest of the series eh, there's there's high points and low points so yeah i would say just overall i have to just go sevens straight across all right well i'm going to roll the dice and see what happens all right, we are going to stay on the theme of, you know, <laughs> sacrifice and loneliness as we move into Majora's Mask. <laughs> One of Max's all-time favorite video games, honestly. That's such a good game. I will come at anybody who says Ocarina of Time is not the greatest video game of all time. Fight me, it beats Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild did amazing things for the series. I don't care about those things. Ocarina is its its masterpiece. However, Majora's Mask is about two inches below Ocarina for me. Um, this Zelda game is a poetic piece of horror art. Um, framed in this awesome action-adventure RPG. Who doesn't love Zelda? You know, Nathaniel, we, we know a lot of gamers, and who, like, turns their nose up at Zelda games? Nobody. Because they're so good. Yeah, like, like I can see maybe doing some eye rolls at a, a few specific entries. Oh, sure. But, like, especially Ocarina, Majora, Breath of the Wild, like, those, like, really high-point games, oh, no, they're, they're about as good as gaming ever gets. And as millennials, I think Majora's Mask is one of those games that really we don't even need to talk about the plot because it is so well known um but for those who may have not played this game stop what you're doing and go do it because it's amazing um it's a very depressing and melancholic game essentially the story is you defeat ganondorf in the events that happened in ocarina of time and young link is trying to figure out his now purpose in life yeah once Um, you've saved the world what do you do now exactly Um, And you're wandering around in the forest and you encounter what you learn is the Skull Kid wearing this very intimidating mask. Um, And he transforms you into this creature and it it really sets on this huge catastrophe of an apocalypse that's looming. The Skull Kid is being controlled by Majora's Mask and all he wants is to rain the moon down on this small little country town of Termina. Um... And that's it. You're you're playing as this hero trying to save this town in three days, 72 hours. And you are constantly going back in time to try and, you know, save the day. But at the same time, you're reliving all of the characters around you, all of their tragic stories. They know the world is ending. They see the moon kind of approaching. And so every time you reset the clock, you are re facing all of these different plot lines where these people know they're about to die they're depressed they're sad they're they've given up on life they've given up on love what do you do when you know the world is going to end in three days like it's just so crazy how innovative this story was back in the 1999 2000 when the game came out i want to say it was like 97 or something um i think it's 2000 Let's do a quick Google search. You're yeah. right, it was 2000. 2000. So uh, there's a lot to say about Majora's Mask, and for the sake of time, I just kind of want to be as succinct as I possibly can. Um, the first and foremost thing is uh, the art and style of the game is very 
um, reminiscent of Ocarina of Time. They only had a year to develop this game, so they took a lot of the character models directly from Ocarina of Time. Um, but they twisted it in this weird apocalyptic sense so that everyone is just sad or tragic or just celebrating because they know the world is going to end. And you're forced to reckon with that as a hero. You're trying to save the day when everyone else is lamenting what you're doing to some regard. Um, yeah. And it's a real mind game because you, it makes you not really feel like a hero no matter what you do to help these people eventually you have to return the clock back to zero and everything you did to help doesn't matter all of a sudden. And yeah. it, it's just bizarre, but so intriguing. Yeah. And like, it's kind of a weird comparison, but you can definitely see a lot of like the influence of like Lovecraft present in this Zelda game. For sure. Where, you know, especially if you like look at like the greater mythos of like, who was Majora you know, this, you know, this mask that this Skull Kid is wearing, and, and, you know, who is this, like, evil deity that, uh, you know, he has basically possessed him as, yeah, trying to end the world. Um, it's, it, you're right, like, it, it feels very much like you're almost uh, a Lovecraftian, like, detective character who is doomed in this, like, Sisyphean task of, you know, constantly resetting the clock, constantly just trying over and over and over again to try to save the world. And and there are some people who, when they die, they die permanently in every version of, of the timeline, basically. You know, you can set the, the clock back, but those uh, those characters that die when you get their masks, um, you know, the, the main masks, the, the Deku, Goron, and Zora masks, like, they're dead forever. And there's no saving them. And they're basically, you know, they had to sacrifice themselves so you can do something about this it's it's very lovecrafty it's very dark uh in ways that you don't ever expect a zelda game to be yeah and even at the the prologue of the game it forces you to go through each one of the days you can't advance in the story until you're you know six minutes before the world ends and so it sets up this terror very effectively in the beginning of the game, and it holds on to that so, so well. And I think one of the most brilliant things about this game is the unknown of Majora. Um, I tried to do so much research into who Majora is, where the mask came from. Is it a demon? Is it an evil spirit? You know, um, is it a dragon? Was it an ancient warrior? Is it a race? And there's nothing, Nathaniel. We know the bare minimum of Majora. And the more I thought about it, I really started to realize that this game has the most evil of all of the Zelda villains, more so than Zant from Twilight Princess or Ganondorf from Ocarina. Um, and that's a bold claim, because Ganondorf is the king of evil, you know? Yeah, he's, a... He's, a, he's a reincarnation of, like, evil itself. But and... each... Each one of those villains has a purpose. They want to obtain power. They're looking for the Triforce of Power. They are trying to become king of the Twilight Realm. They have motivations. And Majora's Mask just wants to see the city burn. He doesn't give a shit what happens to anybody. He doesn't care about power. Uh, and then you fight him in the end game, and he wants to play hide-and-seek. Like, it's just twisted and sociopathic and terrifying. Yeah, he's he's almost like if Loki and Cthulhu had a baby. 
Yeah, and then went on a date with Satan. Like, it's crazy. This game is a masterpiece, and you can play it on the N64 if you have those capabilities, but they did a remake for the Nintendo DS, and that's what I'm playing it on right now. I'm doing a replay. Um, and it's a phenomenal remake. Definitely, if you have not played Majora's Mask, and you love horror movies, you're gotta play this game. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, it, this is the like least obviously horror game of the ones we're talking about. Like it's not, you know, it doesn't wear horror tropes on its sleeve quite as much. It feels, yeah. You look at it and you're like, oh, this is a fantasy game. But then as soon as you like pay attention to what's happening, you're like, oh no, this is a horror game set in a fantasy world. Um, so the only thing I wanted to, to mention furthermore is I found three. Um, actually, there's two things real quick. Um, first, that the name Majora actually might be inspired by an ancient Brazilian society by the name of Mara Joara. Um, and you can actually look up their masks. When someone would die, they'd create kind of a funeral mask for them. And they are very similar to what we have in Majora's mask. Mm-hmm. Um, the two other things are kind of hit or miss for me. It was kind of scraping at the bottom of the barrel. But Majao is Japanese for witch. And that might be because the mask has evil powers. Again, that's like reaching for the low-hanging fruit. And then also there was an emperor of Western Roman, the Western Roman Empire named Majorian. And again, this one is like, eh, a nice coincidence. Um, the only other two things I want to mention is I did go into this beautiful thesis from a guy who dived into all of the themes of Majora's Mask and really... Um, kind of dived into the motivations of Iji Anuma, Yoshiaki Kozumi, and Shigeru Miyamoto, who created the game, and they really wanted to bring a video game that talked about loneliness, depression, and death, and how we can never really escape those elements. And that's where the time theme came into it, of, you know, no matter how hard we try, sometimes we're always going to be lonely. Um... No matter how hard we try to escape it, we might always be depressed. We're always going to encounter death. And how do you deal with that on a real-life basis? Uh, And again, the poetry of this game is just amazing. And as a young 12-year-old playing this game, it was the first video game I ever 100% beat. And it's just, it's my trophy in life. It goes on my resumes and my ICVs that I 100% Majora's Mask on the N64 with the wonderful help of GameFAQs.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could go on for days about this game. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, and and you know, it, it, as you mentioned, like there's a lot that has been written about this game and like interpreting and uh, of this game. It's it's a masterpiece. Um, uh. uh related tangent uh so i just started playing twilight princess which also definitely has some heavy horror elements uh, as far as zelda games go and i swear the music uh whenever you're in like the twilight realm and stuff is directly like riffing off of silent hill (laughs) just like the the music is like uncannily similar it's just I don't know. It's it, it's a good time. Uh, it's just fun because I was like, this is definitely Silent Hill music. Because yeah, my wife and I have been playing that one together. So 
Don't get me started on Twilight Princess, another underrated Zelda game, in my opinion. Agreed. All right, the last video game that we want to touch on is one that I was recently introduced to, and I can't stop playing this dumb game. Daylight. Once again, my amazing boyfriend who loves horror and video games. Not as much as me, but he comes close. I'll give him that. <laughs> He's looking at me right now, giving me the sneak eye. Um, Dead by Daylight is a really innovative game, in my opinion. It's a four-on-one asymmetrical horror game. So essentially you have four survivors, so to speak, people trying to escape, and one killer and the whole purpose of the game is for the killer to hack and slash all four killers and the survivors to repair these generators which open up a gate and allows them to escape. Um, originally, it was a very indie-designed game. It was made for the PC and later came to the consoles. Um, and the reason for that is because of the Twitch community. People got a hold of this game and started streaming their gameplay experience, and it just exploded in a wildfire. Um, it started with 10 developers, they just kind of wanted to make a fun horror game, and really it, it took off and kind of got away from them to some regards. Um, it's so fun. It is one of those games where you want to throw your controller at the screen. Um, but then you pick up your controller and play another session right away. <laughs> yeah, this is one that I've I've only like I I bought it. Um, I just haven't played it that much, just because I don't like playing with randos online as much as I like playing with like people I actually know. So, yeah, and that is something I I, I do want to get into. Um, before we dive into that, though, I I gotta say that the, the developers of the game have been able to require acquire some of the licensure for some big name horror franchises so each one of their survivors kind of has a backstory and why they're in this world and then each of their villains their killers additionally has a name and a story and then kind of a horror trope that they portray and they are all serving this kind of ethereal being called the entity and the killer's purpose is to slash and dice these survivors and then hook them on these very pinhead-esque hooks and the entity eats them kind of thing and i just wanted to go through a few of the of the killers and make note that a lot of them are classic horror villains and so to be a survivor and see jason kind of following you or michael myers creeping up on you it's terrifying because it, it kind of puts you in the movie to some regard it's so fun did have they put in jason or is is that still just the, its own game uh yeah jason's still its own game i misspoke there okay yeah i just want to make sure because yeah there there is also a friday the 13th game that's basically the same game but just you know specifically franchised to friday the 13th so i have a list of the killers and i just kind of want to go over them real quick um you have the trapper which kind of lays these creepy bear traps for people. Uh, the Wraith. You have the Hillbilly. The Nurse. And then you have the Shape, who's Michael Myers. Uh, the Hag. 
the doctor. The doctor's really fun, because if he hits you, he kind of poisons you with his weird electricity, and then you start seeing his image as you're trying to escape, and you're not sure which one is the real doctor. Oh, it's, it's gross. Um, the Huntress wears this terrifying bunny mask, and she hums and, like, sings this lullaby as she gets close to you, and then you wet your pants, and it's just a thing. Uh, you have the cannibal, which is Chexus Tainsaw, Leatherface, uh, Nightmare, which is Freddy Krueger. You have the pig, which is just wearing this really gory pig's mask. You have the clown, which of course is inspired by John Wayne Gacy. Uh, the spirit. You have Legion, who wears this creepy mask that is a smiley face, which is inspired by the conspiracy theory of the smiley face killers. Um, do not watch that horror movie hot garbage <laughs> um you have the plague which is kind of this priestess who can throw poison out at you uh you have the onai which is a very classical japanese demon ghost faces in this game the demogorgon from stranger things he can open up portals and jump out at you uh you have this death slinger which is a very classical cowboy shoot em up guy um the executioner who is pyramid head so you're walking around trying to escape and then oh damn there's pyramid head oh it's so good <laughs> um you have the blight which kind of vomits this gross stuff on you twins which is this really gross take on this fetus that can launch at you uh you have the trickster which is a nice little twist it's a j-pop kind of korean killer he runs around throwing kunai knives at everybody and then speaking of resident evil their latest patch they just launched the nemesis from resident evil he's the newest villain that you can play noise uh so again this is kind of a horror game made for horror fans um it's so fun there are a lot of issues with it um i'm probably not the best one to talk about this i haven't been playing the game very long uh, a lot of these notes came from my boyfriend, and he actually has a group of gamers he plays this game with on a regular basis. Um, it's cool, though, because as you play the game, you start to develop kind of you're either a survivor or you're a killer. And all of the survivors will tell you that the killers are overpowered and they always win and they can never do anything good as a survivor. And then you meet the killer click, and they're like, oh, the survivors are always so overpowered, and we can never win because they just have so many abilities. And it's kind of this weird dichotomy of, it's just created this community, which is so fun to see in a horror video game of all things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely one that I want to play more and uh, kind of get to, get to know it better, because it's... Yeah, it, it, it's fun to see how a community has developed around this. Um, the only game that I can think of that's that's had a similar thing uh, would be like the Left 4 Dead games. Yeah. Um, which, oh man, I love those games with all my heart. But we're not talking about that one today. But you know, it's just it's it's fun to see how like entire like groups and and like friendships are are formed by playing uh, a game and and how you know. How, how that constant challenge is, is just part of, of the appeal. A few final words of caution for anyone who's listening to this and is interested in playing Dead by Daylight. Um, it is very glitchy. Again, it's a very indie-based game, so they're still trying to 
do a lot of tweaks here and there. Um, as I mentioned, Resident Evil was the newest update for the game. And the map that they did, I think it was Umbrella Academy or the police precinct or the city police department. I don't know. I don't play Resident Evil. Um, Probably City. Yeah, there we go. But the the map was so glitchy that they actually took it down from the update. And this was a few weeks ago, and we still don't have access to it because it just is so glitchy. Um, and then if you're a newbie to the game like I am, there are tons of abilities that each character has. So if you're playing with a group of friends and they're dropping these names and you have no idea what the name does, it really puts you at a disadvantage, um, which is just kind of the nature of the game. You just have to learn. You have to read. Read and learn. We all do it. Um, but the biggest thing I can recommend is I was playing a game and one of my boyfriend's friends told me that really the success to the game is to listen. If you have a headset, I would definitely recommend playing it with a headset because there are these sound cues, whether the killer is close or you're trying to repair one of these generators to open the gate and escape. There are these sound clues that really make or break the game. If you can figure those cues out, you're golden and you'll escape and you'll open the gate and just leave and you'll get all the points you need. So, um, Nathaniel, we did not rate Majora's, so we need to play the song of time and go back in time and rate Majora's <laughs> real fast. How appropriate. I know. So as far as pentacles, I give it a nine. Um, there are some things in it, like the weird alien cow scene that just make absolutely no sense. I would yeah. I would give Ocarina a ten, but Majora's is a nine point eight, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I think I think a nine is fair just because like there are especially certain like puzzles and stuff that you have to do over and over and over again because of the nature of the game that kinda makes it less appealing at times. Um as far as crowns go, I would give it a ten. Oh yeah, um, it, it's it's a killer. G- I think that's the first ten I've ever given on this podcast, and that's how much I endorse Majora's Mask. Yeah, it's it's pretty much perfect. How scary is it? It's not very scary. <laughs> it's a it's a horror game. It's it gets under your skin at times, but as far as like scary, like a two, maybe a yeah. three. Yeah, two, two, three. It, it's it's more like conceptually scary. Yeah, than it is like delivering real chilling moments um now as far as dead by daylight goes for those ratings as far as pentacles go i want to give it a high rating but i also want to give it like a seven just because there are times where i'm playing it and i'm like oh this game these killers always win i hate everything and i throw my controller down and i don't touch it for you know five days um but then i'm back on playing it so probably seven yeah um, crowns, I would push up there either eight or nine. I think it's an incredibly original idea for a video game. Um, and like I said, it's a horror video game made for horror fans. So I, I gotta give it some good credit. Right, and then how scary is it? I mean, getting chased by Ghostface and they start playing the music, or whenever Michael Myers comes and finds you, it plays that iconic Halloween theme song. It gets ya. So I'm going to say like a seven <laughs> and maybe it's cause I usually play it at 11 o'clock at night with my headphones in and my case with all my demonic effigies starts to rattle. Who knows? But I'm going to give it a seven. 
Okay, awesome. Um, and yeah, I don't know the game quite well enough to confidently give it any ratings. All right, well, that was our games. Obviously, we have a lot of other games to cover. We haven't even touched on my very favorite horror video game, so, you know. I thought that was Silent Hill. What other game is there? Bioshock. Oh, my gosh, yeah. How could I forget Bioshock? Lord. But it's okay. That We'll, we'll have uh, part two of this, and we'll talk about, I don't know, Bioshock and Amnesia and... Uh, I don't know other other games. There's there's a lot of great horror video games out there. So absolutely. And again, we know you guys really loved the board game episode. We hope you enjoyed this as much. If you didn't, if you did, if you don't care, just let us know on the Twitter or the Instagram wherever you interact with our podcast. Or if you want to add us to play, you know, stuff like Dead by Daylight with us, uh, we would definitely be down with that. Um, I'm not very good, but I play with a lot of people who are very good, so I can get you those doors opened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we can't guarantee it would be good, but if, if you're willing to play with us and teach us how to be better at the game, I'm down. So before, um, before we call it quits, Nathaniel, how are you staying spooky? Um, I'm staying spooky. Uh, I just recently read a horror novel that I really loved. Uh, it is called Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Uh, and it is a very, I mean, like, as uh, is implied by the title, it's it's gothic horror. Uh, it definitely feels very, you know, kind of Bronte-esque in a lot of ways. But it's, it's a story about a uh, young Mexican woman who is... Uh, basically called to go take care of or at least check on her cousin who is sick uh who is living out in the kind of the middle of nowhere in mexico um you know she she got married and then you know moved away and then uh has fallen ill and you know so she's going to to check on on this uh cousin and you know once she gets there the the family uh that you know is you know the 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 husband's family are very weird and it's you know creepy and you know just unusual and and there's like some sort of you know there's strong mystery elements to it uh but there are some you know kind of more elaborate supernatural elements because like this cousin thinks that she sees ghosts um in the house so very good book uh highly recommend it easily one of my favorite uh reads this year so, uh, yeah, Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. How about you? How have you been staying spooky? Oh my gosh, are you ready for me to nerd out beyond belief? Yes. Um, okay, so I recently discovered the show Over the Garden Wall. Yes! Nathaniel. Nathaniel! <coughs> yes. Holy hell, where has this cartoon been my entire life? Right? Um, I... Uh, yeah yeah no no my my wife and i watched that one fairly recently like i don't know like a year ago and uh, fell in love with it so hard it is so good i don't want to give too much away because there is a huge plot element to it that really kind of motivates the plot to some regard um Mm -hmm. but it is this kind of spooky adventure time meets nightmare before christmas meets Coraline meets Toonami meets Cartoon Network and has everything that I've ever wanted and it's only 10 episodes long and they're 10 minutes apiece 
and I'm still grieving that it's over because it is perfection. I cannot yeah. say more good things about this. And and like the cast is amazing. Like it's Elijah Wood and it's uh, Christopher Lloyd and it's 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 so freaking good. And oh my it's gosh! Scary. There's an episode in particular about this like city of pumpkin people, and I was watching it's like episode it. two. Yeah. I was watching it like 2 a.m. with my boyfriend. I'm just like, what on God's good earth are you showing this? And why have I not seen this before? It's brilliant and so spooky. It's so good that every October I will make a very strong effort to watch this yearly. If you have not seen Over the Garden Wall and you love horror or Halloween, go watch this. It's, it's a masterpiece. It really is. It's 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 about as close to perfect uh, as a cartoon ever was. It's so good. Um, similarly, another cartoon that is pretty close to perfect in Max's mind is the show Gravity Falls. Um, I recently discovered this just a few days ago. I'm only about six or seven episodes in. It is about this delightful pair of twins named Dipper and Mabel. And they are both my spirit animals in different ways. Mabel in particular makes me cackle out loud with laughter. Um, it is, they go up to Gravity Falls, Oregon with their crazy grunkle, great uncle. And Dipper finds this mysterious book that talks all about these you know, zo- cryptozoids or ghosts or demons. It, you know, it's kind of supernatural, but for kids. And three times better than Dean and Sam Winchester. Um, every episode is very misleading and it, it makes you think that they're going to do one thing and then it flips it on its head and you see a flying mind flare in this convenience store's ice box. And you're just like, what is going on? I love this. Give me more. <laughs> um, it's on Disney Plus. It's on Hulu. The music is amazing. The cast is incredible. Um, the creators only wanted it to go two seasons, so there's only about 40 episodes. I am... Like I said, six or seven episodes in, and I never want it to end. I want everything about this movie. It's my ringtone. The opening theme is now my ringtone. So that's where we're at. That's one that I've watched some of. Um, my siblings are absolutely spitting with it. They showed me a whole bunch, but I think I watched too much of it in one day, and it was like I, I overdosed on it a little bit. Uh, um, I can see that. Yes, I got a little burned out, unfortunately, but... I enjoyed it. Um, it was really fun and really funny and uh, charming. And I, I, I know that at least, like, uh, if you're familiar uh, with the classic uh, early aughts uh, ph- internet phenomenon, Homestar Runner, uh, <laughs> those guys, uh, like, helped work on that show. They weren't, like, the main showrunners or anything, but they were involved in it as well as a bunch of other people. So... It has has some of their kind of style of humor present as well. Ugh, it's fantastic. So, all right, well, everyone, thank you for staying with us and listening to us ramble about some of our favorite things. We really appreciate you listening to us. And again, let us know what your favorite horror video games are. I'd love to play more. Yes, for sure. All right, and uh, I guess without further ado, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes 
or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Stay spooky.